you have trouble talking about your feelings, you're not alone. It's a topic that can make even the most powerful people somewhat squeamish. You're listening to Feelings Matter, where our mission is to demystify everything about emotions so that we can all get more comfortable talking about them. Join Tina and Michelle every week as we unpack a new angle on emotions, drawing upon the science of the brain and the psychology of human nature. Hello and welcome to Feelings Matter, brought to you by Mindful Appy. I'm Michelle Stinson-Ross. And I'm Tina Schweiger. So today we have a topic that is a topic I personally have been obsessed with. Well, what am I not obsessed with surrounding emotion? But my first company I started in 2002 was a branding and design firm, Digital what you could call digital in 2002, right? What's pretty nascent and how brands evoke emotions, how as a designer, you can create brands that evoke emotions as a company. Should you care about the emotions that your brands evoke? And if you do, what might happen? So there's a lot surrounding this. And Michelle has been diving into this topic for us over the past few days, you know, requesting some journal articles and reading articles. So I can't wait to hear what she has found out to back up what we already intuitively know that emotion and brand is incredibly important. Starting with brand and emotion in general, how should a company think about emotion as it relates to a brand? Honestly, I think with emotion, it's as core as what your name is, what your logo is, what colors you use. I would say emotion in particular is very closely related to brand voice. Basically, brand voice is what you use to evoke the emotion that you want related to your brand. So it's really, really core. And yet most of what I hear in marketing circles is more about a particular ad campaign, a particular marketing campaign, looking to evoke a particular emotion without really backing up and going, wait a minute, is there consistently an emotion, a feeling related to brand? And am I actually trying to intentionally cultivate that? Because here's the thing, we make most of our decisions based on emotion and then rationalize our comfort level of making that decision. And because of that, we, over time, build up associations of emotion with a brand. So one of the more notable ones that I'm sure all of you are familiar with is Coke and how much they make an effort to associate themselves with joy and happiness, right? (laughs) That's very intentional on Coke's part. And they realize that they are a consumer product, that they are a food product, that most of the reasons why you consume Coke or when you consume Coca-Cola is when you're socializing, right? You're right. That usually goes with a meal that goes with a tailgate party or a picnic or, you know, a holiday event or any number of things where there's socializing there. Well, if they're socializing there, there's emotion there. And we want to associate the product with the positive emotions that happen around the social functions that you usually find a Coca-Cola. And I, I want to, that's a good point. I want to call out something that you said, which I think is very important and can kind of slip by marketers and company owners when they're thinking about emotions and their brand. You mentioned that oftentimes marketers will think about it in terms of a campaign, 
evoking a certain emotion. But this is bigger. This is actually thinking about intentionally choosing an emotion for your brand. And if you haven't done this, do it. You know, choose an emotion for your brand that you want to aspire to. And then mapping out every campaign thereafter to reinforce that same emotion rather than being emotionally volatile or emotionally all over the place. Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. I'm going to try a fear tactic now, happiness and just going to see what sticks. Well, that doesn't come across as pretty erratic. (laughs) Also, one of the things I was thinking about was this works regardless of what type of product you're selling. You had said something a few weeks ago about if you haven't chosen what emotion you want to evoke in your customers, your customers are going to associate an emotion with you, whether you've made the effort or not. And Mm -hmm. so it's your best interest to make that effort. What do you think about brands associating themselves with the emotions of the, of the political sphere? Oh my gosh. Talk about, no, it's not a softball, Jenny. <laughs> no, it's not a softball. Not a softball. Um, there are a lot of things. You see a lot of brands making decisions based on whether or not they want to associate with that or not. But truth be told, if you know that your customer base really does align and has a positive association with that particular viewpoint, it could very well be in your brand's best interest to also align with the positive association. And that's what I'm trying to get to here. If you're going to add this to your brand strategy, then there is this impact of positive versus negative association. One of the examples I was watching yesterday was push advertising, disruptive advertising, where you're constantly getting in the way of the consumer doing whatever it was they set out to do just to put your message in front of them. That creates a negative association. Mm -hmm. You're then going to have to overcome the negative emotional association with your brand for all your disruptive marketing in order to get them to continue to engage with you. Do you really want to hold your customers hostage? If If you have an emotion for your brand and the emotion of the political sphere that you want to relate to, relates to your brand and you're comfortable knowing how polarizing the political sphere is and that the moment you associate, you're going to probably intensify the love of those who love you Mm -hmm. and intensify the hate of those who hate you. If that's a strategic business decision and everyone is on board, then tread lightly. (laughs) Even (laughs) still. I think that that's just the case. We see a lot of brands doing exactly that. We can, for example, the the decision to pull the all-star game out of Atlanta for Major League Baseball. They're making decisions. Obviously, they have a political standpoint that they want to stick with. But obviously, you saw the news coverage. There was a lot of emotion around this. Mm-hmm. And very strong emotion on both sides. This is going to impact the way people engage with Major League Baseball in the United States for both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So one of the studies I know you were looking into is a study that shows how when companies get it right, how that actually impacts the minds and brains and feelings of the consumer. You want to tell us a little bit about that? There is a study that was done with a couple of Canadian universities. One was the University of Toronto back in 2010. 
And basically, they were studying the implicit conditioning that happens prior to somebody actually taking action and buying. And basically, the thumbnail sketch of this study is that these business marketing professors took a group of students through a process where first, they were just given a couple of brands. These were made up brands. They weren't real. It was something that the students had never heard of. So walking into this, because these were brand new conceptual brands, they had no association with them prior to walking into the study because these brands don't exist outside the study. What they then proceeded to do was a two-step process. The first part of the process was that they gave the students a whole bunch of associations between the brand and all sorts of things. Basically, they overwhelmed the students at that point where they weren't really even sure which brand was associated which, with which feeling, which image, which all of the things that they were making associations with underlying that the subconscious mind, the neuroscience, people are making decisions very quickly and making associations very quickly without really ever consciously processing it. To the point that by the end of the first part of the study, these students had already created a very strong positive association to one brand or the other. So much so that when they went to the second part of the study, no matter how much negative information they might receive about why they should choose brand A over brand B, they already had this strong association for brand B that they couldn't be talked out of it. Even though they were told that the product didn't perform well or any number of things that might cause them to go, eh, maybe I'll try something. They already had such a strong, positive emotional association with that they would still choose that one. We do it all the time. And what was great about this study was that they actually quantified that. They got data that, yes, this is actually the way human beings behave. Absolutely. Jenny brings up Malcolm Gladwell, Blink, one of the classic books that talk about how lazy our brains are (laughs) and how quickly we make those associations. I don't even think it's it's lazy so much as when you think about the way our brains evolved, right? We we have the lizard brain at, at the very core of it. Layered over that is that emotional brain that has to do with instinct and emotion and it helps us process things quickly. And then you have the rational thinking brain laid over that. That was the last part of the evolutionary process. And most of our decision-making is still made deep inside our brain in those older portions of the brain. And there's a reason for it. it. It's a survival reason that we flash make decisions in order basically to engage, fight, flight, freeze, and survive. A lot of our associations with things like color even have to do with that older emotional part of the brain. One of the other things I was watching was a video done by Douglas Van Praet, and he was talking about why creativity and emotion matter. And one of the things he was talking about was irrational associations, right? So he gave a picture of whitening crest 
next to a green bottle of Crest um, <laughs> mouthwash. Now, you just spent all of that time whitening your teeth with, with your special toothpaste, and then you're going to rinse your mouth with something that has dyes in it. How irrational is that? And yet, because of our emotional association with the color green, fresh, clean, all those sorts of things, we don't even think about it. We don't even think <laughs> that that choice is counterintuitive. It sure is. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Mindful Happy. Your feelings matter, and Mindful Happy can prove it. Try it out for free right now. Grab your phone and text the emoji that best represents how you feel to 972-480-6715. See how your feelings compare with other listeners of the Feelings Matter podcast. Again, text the emoji to 972 480 Six seven one five, and now back to the conversation with Tina and Michelle. So, when it comes to the brand emotion, picking emotion, let's say a company has picked an emotion, there, there's an association that a consumer can make with the product, mm-hmm. and there's also companies that have products, but then companies who just have services. A lot of times, there's an interaction between the employees of a company and their customers. How would you say that the brand, the emotional brand that they choose could roll out into how people interact with one another and how they treat their customers? What, how does that work? That works when the company actually drinks its own Kool-Aid, if I can put it that way. <laughs> if you want your customers to associate a particular emotion with your brand, God help you, you had better make sure that your own staff, your own employees, the people that represent your brand, live, eat, sleep, and breathe that. If they don't feel the emotion that you intend for your customers to feel, there's no way customers are going to feel it. Emotion is contagious, right? Mm -hmm. That if our employees, if our staff, our representatives of our brand feel that emotion and they're engaging in that emotion. It's, it's like you and I being excited. How often are you associating excitement, joy, happiness with mindful happy? Because this is the emotion that you're getting from us every time you hear from us. Same thing with your employees, that if your staff is exhibiting that emotion that you want your customers to feel, it's going to catch. It's contagious. You know, that's, I'm going to just give a plug for Mindful Appy because <laughs> let's say you picked an emotion like gratitude. Well, mm-hmm. what activities, what words, how do you live and breathe a culture of gratitude? How do you create culture and embed an emotion into the culture that you want to create? Mm-hmm. Well, the Mindful Appy platform, you can assess at any time with a quick text message, which emotion People are feeling in the moment and take a quick sample and see if whatever activity that you just had them do or whatever event that just happened in the workplace actually resulted in an emotion of gratitude. So there is a way to do that now. Thanks to the modeling behavior. So let's, let's take a customer service example. Let's say that our fictitious company that we're still talking about, they want people to feel grateful about you know, gratitude is embedded in everything that this company does. Well, when it comes to customer service, one would hope that your customer service reps are 
expressing gratitude for getting to talk to this customer. I'm grateful that you brought this forward right now. I, it is a pleasure to help you resolve this. Mm-hmm. So there's one that does it really well, in my opinion, a brand that mm-hmm. I experience whenever I fly Southwest Airlines, their, their heart logo, the love of their brand. And what, what makes me the happiest about Southwest Airlines embodiment of the love is when their flight attendants do things like sing you know, a happy birthday to one of the customers on the plane, or they just, they allow and encourage their flight attendants to express love. And it comes out in surprising, entertaining, and just enjoyable ways. Like I I can't disassociate that. And it's not necessarily from all the advertising, because they don't do a ton of advertising, but it's really from my experience when I interact with the team there. Right. Also, along the lines of what happens when companies get this right. Mm. So let's talk about advertising in particular for just a second. There is something interesting. Uh, One of my colleagues, Susan Winograd, has been talking quite a bit about digital marketing's addiction to bottom of the funnel metrics, whether that's return on ad spend, whether it's click through rate, conversion rate, that sort of thing. There are a lot of metrics that we follow and we follow very closely that we tie very closely to sales. How much money am I making by doing these things? Some of the emotional approaches are actually counterintuitive to that. And I, there was a really good example in the research on some neuro studies that were done of the mini Darth Vader ad. I, I want to say it was back in 2012, maybe, that Volkswagen had a Super Bowl ad where this little boy is dressed as Darth Vader. And... He tries to use the horse on practically everything in the house until dad comes driving home in his Volkswagen. He gets out of the car and he goes inside and the kid is, the kid is trying to use the horse on the car. And all of a sudden the car starts. That was an absolutely incredibly successful ad for Volkswagen, not necessarily because it instantly created sales, but the way that people's brains lit up watching this. There were a couple of neuroscience companies that had been doing active studies on Super Bowl ads in particular, and they just happened to get their hands on this one. The participants in the study, when they were all hooked up to the EKG and all that kind of stuff, and were actually watching the brain activity, something amazing happened in the brains of people that watched that particular ad. And it was all around emotion and storytelling. And one of the things they also found was that their engagement metrics, their emotion engagement type things were really high off the charts, but they weren't really tracking any sales instantly. But funny enough, over time, in like the next quarter to half of the year, the sales actually did go up for the car. It was a long-term play that actually did play off. And a lot of it based on this positive emotional association with Volkswagen, thanks to a tiny Darth Vader. Our memory is based in storytelling. So if you need to build brand recognition, right? That brand recall that when when I see a particular logo, I know who that is. That's actually based in storytelling. If you want people to remember you, 
you're going to have to tell a story around that brand. And that is emotional. We're making an emotional connection with the storytelling at that point. Yes, we are. How can brands tap into emotion without seeming trite? Well, you know, I don't think it's necessarily trite. I think you are tapping into emotions. I think you could have, you could do it in a trite way. You could do it in a very sophisticated way. Mm-hmm. I think that's up to the expertise of the creatives who are making those decisions. Well, I think that's where emotional awareness comes in, right? If we are aware of our own emotion, this goes back to the staff and culture issue as well. That if we're being aware of the emotions that we're evoking on a day-to-day basis in the workplace, as well as the emotions that we're evoking in our marketing and advertising messages, just that awareness I think it comes off as trite when we're being emotionally unaware of what's going on. So I was about- and manipulative. Yeah. Like you can't come out and say it. It's got to be subtle. Like what, you know, if you're like, Hey, we, we love our, our soda and we want you to feel joy. Well, that's not what, yeah. Mindfulness. That's not what Coca-Cola is doing when they're doing joy and happiness. They're showing situations you can relate to. They're using colors that evoke joy. They're using patterns or polar bears that evoke joy. So those are subtle ways. Uh, and, it, and I think that is, that's a really good question because on the how to do it, it is tempting to just be straight out blunt with it and be like, this is how I want you to feel. Well, that's probably not going to work because nobody really likes to be told how to feel. Yeah. I certainly don't. (laughs) Right. But make me feel any any day. Yeah. We're very quick to go, wait a second. I feel like I'm being manipulated here. Mm -hmm. And then you've totally ruined what you were after to begin with. And that's why I say it's really important that it's built into the brand voice, that it's built into the culture, all that kind of stuff. Because if you just try and push it out there when it wasn't authentic, this isn't where you've been all along. And yeah, everybody's going to smell a rat. Mm -hmm. Definitely to Jenny's point that believe it or not, not only can you cultivate empathy individually, but companies need to understand that both in the workplace with their own employees, as well as their customer base, they can develop empathy Mm. that listening and really feeling and understanding what's going on with their people, whether their people are their employees or whether their people are their customers, empathy needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And obviously, yes, in that case, oops, the Las Vegas readers had a serious, not empathetic moment. Mm -hmm. And now in order to recover from it, they're going to have to seriously engage some empathy and do some things to make up for their misstep. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm stating it lightly by calling it a misstep. But it is important to engage your empathy. And that is the way that you move beyond just being diverse to being inclusive. Mm-hmm. Making that step into inclusivity and belonging. Because really mm-hmm. that's what human beings are after. They want to feel like they belong. Yeah. They feel like... And I'm using very intentionally the word feel because everything comes back to, does my gut, does my old brain say mm-hmm. that I belong here, that this, mm-hmm. feels, that this is a happy experience, that this is a positive experience for me. If it's positive, 
then I do feel like I belong. That I want to maintain that association with that brand, that I want to keep buying that product or using that service. And that works in every situation. I know we're using a lot of consumer examples, Mm -hmm. but it's because I know that no matter who you are listening to this, that you've probably seen that. Whereas if I try to use a B2B example, and there are plenty out there, that odds are not everybody has is going to be aware of that because then I'm talking about a niche. But the concepts that we're talking about absolutely apply to B2B just as much as they apply mm-hmm. to general consumer products. The emotion that I'm evoking with my customers leads to those purchase decisions later on. And more importantly, it leads to loyalty and repurchasing, re-upping, continuing the association. So does the emotion that you evoke in your customers affect your bottom line? Yes. Yes, it does.